Hey, you guys, it's me, Overreactor. I'm back from the little holiday break. Um, I'm very excited to get back to a regular schedule of getting episodes out. I kind of wasn't sure, like, where to go next. And thank you to everyone who reached out on Instagram to help me with some ideas of different things to talk about. So I want to do, like an episode on the history of roller derby and maybe even go into more specifics on the roles of the re each referee. And there's a lot of things in previous episodes that I was like, oh, I'll do an episode on that one day. And I might need to go back and listen to see all the things that I said I would do. But today I thought the best thing would be to go over the WFTDA skater rules test and this, the most recent edition was January 1st, 2019. So, um, I know a lot of leagues in the beginning of the season, which is right about now, January 2020, they, you know, give their skaters the rules test and everything. And they have it posted online at WFTDA uh, Skater Resources section. If you Google WFTDA Skater Rules Test, it'll come up. And they also have the answer key posted online. And so you think like, oh, this will be great. I just need to memorize the answers and just whatever, circle in the numbers in that order. And like, okay, maybe, but what if the your league mixes up the answers and you don't know the content of the question? So we really need to... Um, go through it. And hopefully if you've listened to all the previous episodes, you've heard all the rules. So this may be a breeze to you. So what we'll do is I'll read each question and say the answer and talk about why that's the answer and, you know, go through it all like that so we can really understand it together. And then at the end, I'll mix up all the questions and read them through with the choices and if you're able to like write down your answer, then at the end I'll say the answers and we'll score it. Or maybe that's not the best way. Maybe I should um, read the question and pause and then give you time to think of the answer. We'll see. I don't know what I'm going to do at the end yet, but first things first, I'll read through the questions and talk about each answer. That's as far as I know. I can't plan too far in the future or else I get kooky. Okay. Let's get started with the WFTDA Skaters Rules Test, and I'll post a link to the test and the answer key in the show notes. Okay, so these are the instructions given on the test. The test is comprised of 50 multiple choice and true or false questions. To pass the test, a score of 80% is required, but we know we're going to get 100%, right? <laughs> All test takers should return results to their league per their league's requirements. Results should not be sent to the WFTDA. All teams submitting charters for WFTDA-sanctioned games will be required to certify that all skaters on the charter have passed the rules test. But there is no need to submit the test results to WFTDA unless requested to do so. Cool. Good to know. All right, number one, are you ready? True or false? A late hit penalty should be given to a skater who, after the end of a jam, blocks an opponent so they are forced off the track 
but do not stumble or fall? The answer is false. Now, I'm looking at this and wondering why is this false? Because if we look at it, all right, a skater blocked an opponent after the jam has ended. So the jam ending whistle has already sounded and they block an opponent, but the opponent doesn't fall. And it's saying false, no late penalty should be given. I think this is where a lot of officiating discretion will come into play. Like, did it look like an accident? Was it intentional blocking after the jam had ended? Because if we look at casebook scenario, um, it's scenario C4.1.3.F. And this scenario says white blocker initiates contact to red jammer during the jam ending whistle. Red jammer stumbles significantly off balance after the jam ending whistle. So the outcome in that scenario is the white blocker initiated legally before the end of the jam so there would be no penalty. And that's because it is illegal to block after a jam is ended. However, it is legal to initiate during the whistle, even if the outcome of that initiation happens once the jam is ended. So in that situation, it was during that set of whistles is when the block happened. And then after the final is when the red jammer stumbles, right? So everything about that was legal. But it says, keep in mind, should that same hit start after the jam ending whistle, the red jammer need not fall nor be knocked out of bounds. Being hit significantly off balance after the jam ending whistle is sufficient to penalize the initiator of that hit. And it says, keep in mind, a skater penalized after the end of the jam should serve their penalty in the position in which they appear to be acting. So if it's a jammer, you serve as a jammer, pivot, you serve as pivot, blocker, blocker. Um, in this question, a late hit penalty should be given to a skater who, after the end of a jam, blocks an opponent so they are forced off the track but do not stumble or fall. I feel like, yeah, definitely the answer is false because it would not be a late hit penalty. I think that would be a misconduct for initiating a block after the jam has ended. Or it could be false because they don't stumble or fall. They're not significantly knocked off balance. Either way, it's false. I'm just not quite sure why. That's my, that's my best reason for that answer. If you have any input to that, please um, let me know. I think you can send me a voicemail in the show notes. It's, it tells me on the Anchor app that it links in every show description, like no matter where you're listening to this, that it gives an option to leave me like a little voice memo. I don't know if that's true or not. So maybe someone can test it out and just be like, yo, what's up? Just so I know if it works or not. Okay, moving on to number two. True or false? A jammer who starts skating before the jam start whistle and is gaining speed in a counterclockwise direction when the whistle blows has committed a false start. That's true. Jammers aren't allowed to be gaining speed before the jam starting whistle begins. Okay. Number three. A jammer initiates and completes a star pass to a non-pivot blocker. Which skater should be assessed the star pass violation? Cool. So we've already established this is a star pass violation because the jammer gave the star to a non-pivot blocker. We have five choices. 
A, the jammer. B, non-pivot blocker. C, pivot. D, skater closest to the referee making the call. Or E, no call can be made until the non-pivot blocker has an opportunity to drop the star. The answer is E, no call should be made until the non-pivot blocker has an opportunity to drop the star. I'm going to look this one up real quick. But we know it's not the non... We, I mean, we know it's not the pivot. The pivot had nothing to do with this, so the pivot should not be penalized for having nothing to do with this illegal and flagrant violation of the Star Pass rules. And the skater closest to the referee making the call, that's not fair either. Maybe that is just like an innocent little blocker, like had nothing to do with that violation. So, and maybe the closest skater was the jammer or the non-pivot blocker, but we don't know. We don't have enough information in that answer, so it can't be those. But either way, that non-pivot blocker needs an opportunity to drop the star to the floor because that is what you do. If you are a non-pivot blocker and you get that star for whatever reason, you forget that you don't have your pivot stripe on or the jammer thinks you're a pivot, doesn't matter. If you're not the pivot, drop it. I feel like I really dove into that one. <laughs> okay, number four. Of the following, who is able to call a team timeout? There are four choices, and it says to check all that apply. Here are the choices. A, a fouled out captain. B, a captain not serving a penalty. C, a designated alternate. And D, the pivot. So that there's two answers. A captain who is not serving a penalty and a designated alternate. Those are the ones of these choices who are allowed to call a team timeout. If the captain is fouled out, like, bye-bye, like, you're not even in the game anymore. You can't call timeouts, silly. Pivots, a pivot in and of themselves don't have any means to call a timeout unless they are also the captain. And the captains and designated alternates are assigned, you know, before the game begins. So you'll know if you're the captain or designated alternate, I promise you. And you'll have um, a C or an A on your arm to indicate as such to the officials. Cool. Number five, true or false. A skater may push through a wall leading with their helmet. You guys, you better get this one right. I feel like, I feel like you all know it. This is false. You cannot block with your head. That's a violation. You cannot push through a wall leading with your helmet. No. That's not roller derby. That's like head-butting Billy Goat's gruff. That's not roller derby. Don't push through a wall leading with your helmet. Cool. Moving on. Number six. When does a skater's penalty time start? Is it A, when the penalty is called? B, when the skater leaves the track? C, when the skater sits in the penalty box? Or is it D, when a skater sits in the correct penalty, penalty box seat? The answer is C, when the skater sits in the penalty box. Now, the penalty box manager will indicate which chair to go to, but the rules say that once a skater is seated in the penalty box, that's when their time begins. If for some reason the skater sits in the wrong chair, I'm guessing they would have the opportunity to move to another chair, but I'm not going to say that with 100% conviction 
because I have not served in the capacity of penalty box manager. Perhaps Aggie Battery um, can help clarify that one. All right, number seven. If a jam is called off for a skater's injury, other than a suspected concussion, for the first time in a game, how long before that skater may return to play? Is it A, as soon as the skater feels well enough? B, a minimum of three jams? C, the beginning of the next period? Or D, after the medics have cleared the skater to play? The answer is B, a minimum of three jams. And I remember this because, like, let's say there's a skater who's just got tricky intentions and they are like, I'm just going to pretend to be hurt every single time that I'm not winning so that the jam has to be called off. That's not fair. And so if the jam is called off because of an injury, one, we want to make sure that the skater is okay because maybe the adrenaline's going and you don't realize you broke your arm or whatever. Um... And so giving those three jams to sit out and like make sure the skater is well enough is important. But also like it's like a mini penalty. Not it's not a penalty, but like consequence. That's a better word. It's like a mini consequence of like don't call off. Don't fake injuries to have willy nilly jam call offs like injuries happen, obviously. um, But that's that's why you have to sit out for three jams if the jam is called off because of your injury. Okay. Number eight, if the score is tied at the end of the game, what happens? Is it A, the second period is extended by at least one overtime jam? B, the game ends in a tie? C, the last jam is replayed? Or D, the team with the fewest penalties is declared the winner? The answer is A, the second period is extended by at least one overtime jam. There's my cat jumping all over the desk. (laughs) Her name is Ducky, and she's being cuckoo right now. Okay, Um, so the period clock is extended by at least one overtime jam. And there are special rules to the overtime jam because the whole point of roller derby is that the team with the most points at the end of the game wins. So if no one team has the most points, you need an overtime. And... That is, uh, the period clock is extended by at least one jam, and the special rules are that no lead jammer is declared, and both jammers begin scoring on their first trip through the pack. And then, like, let's say that jam also ends in a tie, another jam will be added in the same manner until the score is no longer tied. Make sense? Make sense. Cool. Number nine on the test. When may a skater be sent to the penalty box as a substitute for a fouled-out skater? Is it A, as soon as the foul-out occurs? B, when the fouled-out skater's penalty time expires? C, when the jam is over? Or D, at the beginning of the next period? The answer is C, when the jam is over. So once that jam ends, if a skater has fouled out, then a replacement substitute will be sent to the penalty box to serve uh, the remaining time for that fouled out skater. Because, okay, let's think about it. If I get a penalty that makes me foul out, but it's the middle of a jam, I can't get a substitute right away because it's the middle of a jam. So I would have to go and sit in the penalty box. And then when the jam is over, then a replacement would go in for me. Because let's say 
I have to wait until my penalty time is up. Well, what if the new jam starts and I'm still in the penalty box and then my time is up and I'm released from the penalty box? Well, now I'm still playing, but I've fouled out, you see. So that transfer and substitute would happen, you know, when the jam is over. And and that's what it is. That's the answer. Okay, we're going to do number 10 and then take a quick break. All right, number 10. When must a penalized skater leave the track? We talked about this. I know you already know it in your head, but here are the four choices. When must a penalized skater leave the track? A, when the illegal action occurs. B, when the official says the skater's color and number. C, upon completion of the correct hand signal and verbal cue from the official. D, after regaining legal position on the track. The answer is C. Upon completion of the correct hand signal and verbal cue from the official. Yeah, because if you leave the track as soon as the illegal action occurs, like, that's almost implying that the skater has to be responsible to know when they've done something illegal, and that gets tricky. And the official has to do more than just say the color and number of the skater. They have to whistle, say the color, number, and give the verbal cue and hand signal of the penalty. And... Yeah, and regaining legal position on the track. No, you got a penalty. Get off the track immediately after receiving completion of the correct hand signal and verbal cue from the official. Okay, (laughs) we're going to take a break there and come back in just a minute. Okay, and we are back. Let's go to number 11 on the WFTDA rules test. When both jammers sit in the penalty box simultaneously, how much penalty time must be served before they return to the track? Is it A, 10 seconds, B, 20 seconds, C, 30 seconds, or D, 0 seconds? The answer is D, 0 seconds. If both jammers are sent to the penalty box and both sit simultaneously, They can both get up. They serve the same amount of penalty time. And if there is no jammer on the track, we can't have roller derby. So they just both get back on the track. Bada bing, bada bang. Let's go. Number 12. During the jam, where may a jammer keep the star? Check all that apply. There are three choices. A, visibly in their hand. B, on their helmet. C, inside their uniform shirt or pocket. There are two answers. Both A and B are correct. The jammer can have the star held visibly in their hand, or they could be wearing the star on their helmet. Number 13. True or false, a team may use their official review as a team timeout. This answer is true. If they have nothing to review, but they need to take a break and take a timeout or whatever, they can use their official review for that. That's fine. Number 14. True or false, if a jam ends with less than 30 seconds on the period clock and there is an official timeout, there will always be another jam. This answer is false. And if we look at section 1.3.3 in the rule book, it notes that if the prior jam ended with less than 30 seconds on the period clock, the fact that the officials called a timeout will not necessarily result in another jam occurring in the same manner that a team timeout or an official review would. Instead, the officials must determine whether or not there is reason to hold another jam for that period. If the officials determine that there is no reason to hold another jam, both teams must be given a chance to call a team timeout 
or official review if they have any remaining. And if they decline, then the period will end. Here we go to number 15. The official score is A, kept by the scorekeepers, B, the score visible to teams, officials, and spectators, C, only the final score posted on the scoreboard, or D, none of the above. The answer is B. The official score is the score that's visible to the teams, officials, and spectators. And that's one of the reasons why the jam referees communicate constantly with the scorekeepers because, yes, they keep tally of the score, but their paper is not the official score. What they put on their paper goes to the scoreboard operator, and whatever is visible to the team's officials and spectators, that's the score. That's the official score. Okay, number 16. When is a penalized skater considered no longer on the track? Is it A, immediately upon committing the penalty? B, when they enter the penalty box? C, when they sit in the penalty box? Or D, when they leave the track? The answer is A, immediately upon committing the penalty. So let's say um, the jammer makes a track cut and that's a penalty, but then is back on the track and passes the hips of three other blockers. Well, the jammer would not get the points for those blockers because it happened after the penalty occurred, you know, and in the time it takes for the official to call the penalty, the jammer may have you know, quote-unquote, scored those points, but they wouldn't count because they are considered off the track when that track cut would have been made. That was the penalty. Okay, number 17, true or false. A penalized jammer continues to earn points until they exit the track. It's false. I kind of just went over it with the last one. No, you have to get on the, off the track and you can't earn points once you've been penalized. Number 18. Who is assessed a penalty in the following situation? The white skater falls. Red skater then initiates and forcibly makes contact with white skater who is down. Our choices are, so we're trying to decide who should get the penalty. Would it be A, a penalty for white skater, B, a penalty for red skater, C, a penalty for both, or D, neither gets a penalty. In this situation, the answer is B, a penalty for red skater. So if we look at it, the white skater falls. So the white skater is down. And while the white skater is down, the red skater initiates and forcibly makes contact with the white skater who is down. Now remember, in order to initiate a block, your opponent must be upright inbounds and in play. So in this situation, the red skater is initiating a block to a player who is down and that is illegal and they would get a penalty. All right, number 19. Red jammer earns lead jammer upon completing their initial trip. On red jammer's second trip, they are caught in the pack and complete a legal star pass. At the same time, white jammer skates through the pack on their second trip. Which jammer is lead jammer? Our choices are A, red jammer, B, white jammer, C, 
neither, or D, both. Okay, we're looking for which one is lead. I hope, above all hopes, that you know for sure that both jammers can never both be lead jammer at the same time. Like, you can only have one lead jammer. So, already, let's rule out D both. Like, let's just scratch that from the options. Not even on the table. Nothing to do with this sport. How can you have two lead jammers? So, here's what we know. The red jammer was lead, and they made a star pass. And the white jammer comes through on their second trip. So, the answer is C. Neither. Because when, if you are lead and you give away the star to your pivot that pivot become jammer is no longer lead. The lead has been lost. So the answer to number 19 is C, neither. All right, number 20. While serving a penalty, a white blocker stands after serving 15 seconds without being told to do so. What is the outcome? A, they receive an additional penalty. B, they are expelled. C, they are released after 10 seconds of standing. D. The timer is paused until they sit down again and complete their penalty. The answer is D. The timer is paused until they sit down again and complete their penalty. When you're in the penalty box, you sit for 20 seconds, and then you stand for the remaining 10 seconds of the penalty. And this is for a couple of reasons. One, you stand so that if there is another skater in queue, they could come and sit while you're standing. And also, it's way easier to, like, get your momentum going to get back on the track while you're standing. And also, it is a signal to the referees and officials that you are about to be released from the penalty box. This is especially helpful to the outside pack referees when they're coming around near the penalty box because skaters are coming and going from the penalty box. So if they can see that a skater is about to be released, they can kind of anticipate where that skater might go if they're going to try and go in in front of or behind that outside pack referee. So, um, so yeah, you can't stand up until the penalty box manager tells you to stand up. And if you do so without being told, okay, whatever, we're just going to have to wait until you sit back down to finish those things. Okay, where are we? Number 21, true or false? Red Jammer's helmet cover is knocked to the floor by an opponent on their initial trip. They pick it up, put it back on, and complete their initial trip legally before the white jammer. Red jammer is now lead. Is this true or false? It's true. The red jammer didn't intend to take their helmet cover off. It was knocked off by an opponent, so that's um incidental part of gameplay. So there's no penalty for that. They, I mean, they picked it up on their own. They put it back. That was everything they were supposed to do. So they were able to get lead. Cool. True. Number 22. Red Jammer legally passes four opposing white blockers in a scoring trip, but is then absorbed back into the pack. Red Jammer fights their way back past two white blockers, and a third white blocker has gone to the penalty box. How many points will Red Jammer receive for this scoring trip? A, five, B, four, C, seven, or D, six? The answer is B, four. And I hope that you can just scratch out four, seven, and I mean, <laughs> five, seven, and six right away, 
at least seven and six. There's really no longer any reason to get seven or six points, and five points is now obsolete as well because there's no more jam or lap points, so four is the most points you can even get. So even if you don't know about counting the points, like four, that's the most points you can get in any scoring trip. But just to break it down so we can be like totally 100% clear on why the answer is four, it's because when the red jammer legally passed all four opposing white blockers, the jammer got those points. So those points, like put them in her pocket, they are hers to keep. They cannot be taken away, all right? Even though these white blockers still come back and keep fighting to keep her from going around and out of the engagement zone to make another scoring uh, trip. They've, you know, they've held this jammer back, but that doesn't mean that they take away any points and it doesn't mean that the red jammer gets an additional opportunity to score more points. Like, let's say she only has four pockets and one pocket for each point and she got every point Her pockets can't get emptied of points until she gets out of the engagement zone to come around for her next scoring trip. And and no one can take them away from her, and she can't add any more. So that's why only four points, and that's how it goes. Okay, number 23. True or false? A team can field five blockers and no jammer. True or false? You guys tell me. 100%. I know every single one of you knows this as false. You can't have five blockers. No, you can't not put a jammer. You have to put a jammer. Like, maybe you don't have enough people on your roster, or maybe people fouled out and you don't have enough blockers, but you gotta have at least one blocker and at least one jammer, because if there's no blockers, there's no pack, and if there's no jammer, what what are you even doing? Why? What, you just want to stand there and let the other team score points on you? That's not a game. No. No, this is so totally and utterly false. A team cannot field five blockers and no jammer. So 23, when it says a team can field five blockers and no jammer, that's false. That is a lie. Don't believe that. All right, number 24, true or false. Red blocker one is nine feet or 2.74 meters behind white blocker and nine feet or 2.74 meters in front of red blocker two. Red blocker one leaves the track to fix a knee pad that has fallen down their leg, causing a no pack to occur. Red blocker one should receive a game structure penalty. Is that true or false? It's false. Red blocker one exited the track to fix an equipment issue. That's not a penalty. Now, remember, if the jammer is coming around and that blocker is not on the track because they are fixing their equipment, the jammer can still receive a not-on-the-track point as soon as the jammer legally passes any other blocker on the opposing team. So, yeah, fix your stuff, but, like, get back and play. That's the point of the game, right? Okay, here is number 25. When are not-on-the-track, or N-O-T-T, points awarded? (laughs) I was getting a little ahead of myself uh, in the last question. So, okay, when are the the not-on-the-track points awarded? A, as soon as the opposing blocker sits in the penalty box. B, as soon as the jammer earns a pass on any opposing blocker. C, when the jammer's trip is completed and points are shown to the scorekeeper. Or D, as soon as the jammer passes any blocker, even those on their team. Well, the answer is B, as soon as the jammer earns a pass on any opposing blocker. So when the jammer 
like Red Jammer comes through on a scoring trip, passes any white blocker, they get all of the not on the track points for any blockers who are either out of bounds, out of play, well, no, out of bounds, yeah, out of play, like if they're not in the engagement zone or if they're in the penalty box. So that's when it is. B, as soon as the jammer earns a pass on any opposing blocker. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and end it here for part one, and you can look forward to part two coming out real soon. And in the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to send me a message on my Instagram, which is ovaryactor. That's O-V-A-R-Y-A-C-T-O-R. I think there might be an underscore in there. I always forget, you guys. I also have an email, which is overreactor at gmail.com. And um, you can check out trying to leave a voicemail. I'm so curious if those voice memos work um, in the Anchor app or in whatever app you're using to listen to this. If you go to the show notes and see if you can leave me a voice message, that would be really cool. Um, Okay, well, have a good, good week and I'll talk at you guys later. Bye.